0: Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com.
1: 18 plus, be
0: NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away.
1: Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to
0: youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refunds. Subscription auto renews. Hi,
1: my name is Yona and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fellow Chelsea supporters, here at the Blue Day podcast, I am delighted to welcome this individual on the podcast today. He is a man who 50 years ago this month was part of the 1971 Cup Winners' Cup victory against Real Madrid. Plus, he made 207 appearances for the club, scoring seven goals. He is a Chelsea icon. Here is John Dempsey. John, welcome to the Blue Day podcast. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you, Keith.
0: Hopefully you are as well. I'm very good, thank you, John. Well, John, I'd like to take you all the way back to the very beginning, if I can. Who were your influences when it came to becoming a professional footballer?
1: Well, I started sort of when I was very little, like five or six, sort of kicking the ball round sort of in the house. And then I used to go up to the corner where I lived. I lived in Kilburn, London and I think we used to have a brick wall up there and I used to go up there with the ball and a couple of mates kicking the ball against the brick wall or kicking it amongst ourselves. So it started at a very young age of being wanting to sort of kick a ball and I was really interested in playing football. And then as the years grew, sort of like obviously when you're eight or nine, I got in local teams. And then my dad, who was sporty as well, started taking me to Chelsea and Fulham. When I was little, about seven or eight, Um, and in in them days, like Chelsea were at home one week and then Fulham the following week, so in that way of influencing playing football, I started on my own as such as kicking a ball round, and then all of a sudden joining little clubs like, and then sort of my dad take me one week to Chelsea and Fulham, etc. So my dad was a big influence and really. Uh, in sort of pushing us in one way into football as such, like you know, and uh, that's how things started for me when I was very young, and then progressed. Obviously,
0: it must have been fun on weekends, as you say, like going Chelsea one week and then Fulham the other week. It was just constant football on a weekend.
1: I mean, it was a big thing. Like, I mean, like when you go back to well like before a lot of people were born, etc., and sort of like. Uh, you know, in them days, like going back in the 50s, 60s, there was not much, you know, young people could do as such. And, OK, as well as the older people, they, they were working. But their main thing was football in them days. And, you know, if you went to a football match in the 50s, it might, you know, it would never happen today. A lot of the support was like men particular were even wearing shirt and shirt and ties and also wearing, majority of people wore hats. Um, which is a strange one, obviously. Today, people are looking back at that thing, really. But if, it probably, if you looked at old clips in the fifties, you would see that amongst the crowd. But I mean, it was fun as a young person to go and watch because it was like always full up with crowds, especially Chelsea, because Chelsea was a bigger ground than Fulham. Uh, Fulham was a club near like near the river, obviously the Thames, and the small ground, thirty or thousand. But Chelsea was a massive club in them days, because it was 80 or thousand sometimes. And, you know, for a young person, your father taking to football one week to Chelsea and one week to Fulham, it was quite exciting to actually do that, really, and to watch really good players at that time. Like, say, for instance, at Chelsea at that time, they had sort of Roy Bentley later on, uh, like Jimmy Greaves, and they were sort of a really, really top team, Chelsea at that time. and then, when you go over to Fulham, you've got different players like the Johnny Haynes and uh, Bobby Robson, etc. And, you know, sort of, you know, for a young person, it was really exciting. as I said earlier, there wasn't much to do for young people in them days. And obviously football was a big thing if you were a young
0: person. What was Stamford Bridge like as a spectator for you? Obviously, you played there as a player, but... Not many sort of players that i 've spoken to and who have mentioned on the podcast has mentioned what it was like as a supporter, so could you just describe to the listeners who perhaps you know, have only known Stanford Bridge since the redevelopment in the, in the '90s what Stanford Bridge was like in the '50s:
1: Yeah, I mean obviously, when my dad used to take me, it was like some games were sixty or thousand seventy eighty thousand. I mean it was sort of like a, a huge ground and obviously in them days you know they just had like the east stand was like seating the the matthew harden stand today that was seats there right in the corner an old stand and then where we used to go was the west stand where there was no seats standing up and like on the terraces part of them about like had like crash barriers where you could certain people who stood there could lean on or majority of people had kids, which happened to be me. My dad tried to get me there early so we can get a place, so he could sit me on the, this crash and holding me. Um, and sort of like there was big crowds and also around that, at that time, they had a greyhound track and like all grass going around the edge where, the edge of the field. And a lot of people passed down kids onto that area where they sat on, Close to where the Greyhound track was on the grass, Um, so in them days it was, you know, completely different thing, obviously to 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 what it is today. But it was exciting times, and obviously then when you were watching Chelsea, um, so as I got sort of only seven or eight or nine or whatever, you know, to watch the players come out was a big thing. I remember like sort of I was saying to my dad always, oh, I hope. Chelsea run out second, the other team run out first, and then when they came out, oh, so noisy, like, because they had rattles in them days, you know, that obviously they had the sh- scarves and rosettes on them, but a the big thing was the rattles and what a noise that made, and it was so exciting, like, and sort of to watch players of that era, like, was still a big th- thing, because you're talking about when they sort of won the league in '55, and they had, as I said, like, Roy Bentley, Parsons, Peter Bray Book, you know, really outstanding players and then moves on a few, well not too far and then you've got the Jimmy Greaves like, you know, so when you go back there it was an exciting time to go to Stamford Bridge and watch, you know, and as I said like even the Shed, you, you know, it was like standing up in them days and you know, things change where it's all seater obviously now, uh, but it was just, such a noisy place to go and watch a football match back in the 50s and 60s you
0: know? yeah what was that team like in 1955 that had Roy Bentley Ken Armstrong Frank Blundstone to name a few
1: well they were an outstanding team and obviously with Roy Bentley as the centre forward he was a handful he, he, you know he played centre half not for Chelsea as such but he has played centre half in his career but he was a- Sort of a powerhouse very good in the air and scored loads of goals and they were such a skillful team as well and they were you know obviously to win a league like that you know sort of like where you know you had to play so many more games in them days nothing obviously there's more competitions people can say today uh, but they play less games like and in them days of course it was like played on most of the time mud heaps and you know also the fact that the lead. The ball with a lace uh, was obviously you can imagine trying to cross a ball with that in muddy conditions is not the best thing to do. Like, and you know, sort of the team of this 55 55, around that hit time were outstanding team watch.
0: You've mentioned Fulham a few times, that's where you started your footballing journey. It was January of 1969, Chelsea signed you for around about £70,000. How did this move come about? in regards to wanting to leave Fulham to Chelsea, and what appealed to you about going to Chelsea Football Club? Uh, Well,
1: it happened really. really. I mean, it was about, I think, about nine months before that, Nottingham Forest wanted us and the club wouldn't let us go. Um, Not that I wanted to go because I never really talked about it. And then sort of about a little while before I actually moved to Chelsea, probably three or four months, I think it was, and Johnny Haynes, who was... You know, outstanding player for, Ch- uh, for Fulham uh, had retired and then he got the opportunity to manage as a caretaker manager and Chelsea wanted me then but he wouldn't let us go um, and then eventually they agreed terms uh, when a manager called Bill Dodging took over Fulham as manager and he re- 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 let me go and I was quite excited by the fact that obviously I, I love playing for Fulham and immediately you know, they were a small club by the river, not a big ground compared to Chelsea. But I knew that Chelsea looked like they were becoming quite a decent team following them. And obviously, the thing about being a big club, a club I followed obviously when I was young, even though I went to Fulham, Chelsea, etc. But it was the thing of actually going there. And when I went there that day to meet Dave Sexton, you know, as soon as you walk in the ground, a massive ground, you could Feel something about the place that this is a club you like to join, you know. And I was all 100%. I wanted to join, and I I signed on that day. And then I remember coming back to Fulham to get my boots. And then the actual secretary of Fulham Football Club at that time said to me, "Have you signed for Chelsea?" I said, "I had." He said, "Okay." He said, "But we did get a, a bigger bid in this morning from Tottenham." Like, and the manager at that time was Bill Nicholson. I said it wouldn't have made no difference because obviously Chelsea was in my heart. And, uh, you know, that's how it came about that I actually signed for Chelsea.
0: You made your debut for the club against Southampton in a game where Chelsea lost 5-0. Um, we've spoken to Alan Hudson in an interview and that was the game that he also made his debut for Chelsea. What are your memories of your debut overall?
1: I mean, it was a bad defeat, obviously, it's beat 5-0 it's really bad I mean I mean, I must admit I didn't think I played too bad that day but it, it was a sort of upsetting to actually have your first debut first match and to lose that amount of goals you think gosh as a defender it doesn't look good but you know I enjoyed the debut even though we lost uh, but I, in my head I was thinking you know hopefully I'll stay in the team and move on to better things <laughs> like really but it was, as you rightly said, Alan Hunton, it was his debut as well. I mean, it was two or three players like Peter Osgood didn't play that day. He's not making excuses. But in the realm of things, I have just thought to myself, right, I've got to move on. And that was it, really.
0: Yeah, you made 16 appearances in your debut season. That must have been pleasing for you to be integrated in the first team so quickly, whereby you was playing near enough every single game.
1: I mean I knew it would be tough like you know sort of like Dave Sexton when he signed me said one of the things we're bringing you because we're we're very weak in the air at the back etc so I thought well fair enough like but I knew I was in competition with other great players like I mean David Webb, Ron Harris, Marvin Hinton was there and obviously Stuart Euston was another player that could play centre back um, and it, I knew it was going to be hard, but I was prepared to work hard. And it, you know, in, in the end, I was lucky, like really, that everything worked out fine. You know, that I got in the team. and I thought I was doing well, and uh, you know, so I was happy. But I knew, it, you know, okay, it's not like the squads today. How many players they have? Ours was a small squad, but you knew it was competition all round. Whether it was up front or in defence, you knew you had to work hard to keep your
0: place. It's the next season where you was able to score your first goal for Chelsea. It was against Wolves in a two-two draw. How relieved was you to finally get off the mark for Chelsea? Albeit you was a central defender, but you wasn't one to get goals on a regular basis.
1: I suppose like when you got for corners and free kicks, you always hope and hoping that you you can score a goal. But it was a big relief, and I remember that game because we ended two-two. And sort of when I scored, it was it, I sort of headed it, and the person saved it on the line. And I followed up, followed up, and put the ball in the net. It Was sort of a really special moment, really scoring your first club goal for a club that you supported as well. Uh, so in that aspect, I thought to myself, oh well, hopefully I get some more. But I mean, playing Wolves that day was a tough game, in any case, because they had like Derek Dugan. A big centre forward who played for Northern Ireland as well, and they had a really good team at that time. So, to actually get a goal against them, I was very happy.
0: Before we discuss the FA Cup in 1970, which will be quite a very interesting conversation, I just want to sort of get your thoughts on what the FA Cup means to you as a player. You know, nowadays people don't see the FA Cup as a bigger competition like they do with the Premier League and Champions League. So, describe to us what the FA Cup as a whole means to you as a player?
1: I mean, it was a big thing, even when I was little, sort of like five, six, seven, going back all them years. It was a main thing for people in them days because of the fact that they had not much to do. And then the, the Cup final was a big occasion on a Saturday because it's, you know, I forget what time it actually started, but it was an all-day thing, you know, from nine o'clock all the way through to the game had finished and afterwards... You know, sort of watching on the television was a major, major thing, really. And sort of like to actually get in to a cup final, to actually play it in, in a cup final was a thing you dream of. Like when I was a little kid, it was the major thing. If you could, if you thought, oh god, I wish I could play in a cup final one day, and to actually play in a cup final was a, a big thing. And sort of, you know, as I said, the when you're young, sort of like watching it on television you're always thinking about oh, I wish I could play in a cup final like that you know so in that aspect going back all all them years to you know thinking about cup finals it was a major thing and then we moved on sort of to 1971 and to actually playing it you know it was a great feeling and thinking you know sort of back to when you were younger hoping one day you were be fortunate enough to play football and actually to get that was a big thing really
0: you did actually score in the FA Cup it was in the fifth round win over Crystal Palace Uh, the highlights can be found online it was on actually on BT Sport uh, for those that are living in this in the UK sorry when did that squad start to believe that this could be their year when it came to winning trophies like the FA Cup
1: I think uh, was when we uh, we beat Birmingham and then we played Burnley and we were winning 2-0 and then they came back and got to 2-2, which, which is a shame really, but we ended up having to go up to Turf Moor Burnley to play the replay and that we knew would be a hard game really because of the fact that small ground and usually on a cold, windy night or whatever, muddy pitch, You know, we thought it was going to be tough, but luckily we came through that and went further along, you know, playing other games. But I think that was the ma- that was the time, really, when we got through that round that we thought we had a great chance. Yes, before, you know, the third round comes and you play Birmingham, you think hopefully we get a decent draw, and that was a nice draw to get Birmingham, and then you move on, obviously. But I think playing Burnley and getting through after a replay then, I thought we had a great chance of hopefully getting through to the final and winning it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Talk about the FA Cup final now. You played in both games against Leeds United. How good were Leeds United as a team? And what were your emotions going into both games as a footballer? Now I've heard stories about how rough Leeds United were, that they sort of they left something on you when it came to tackles, but just as a team though, what were they like to play against? I mean,
1: Leeds United were a really tough team, you know, and also very skillful. I mean, obviously at the back when you got Charlton and Hunter, sort of really two outstanding centre backs, and in, in midfield you got the Bremner and Giles who could tackle and go over, you know, sometimes go with the top of the ball like to you and be a bit nasty. But they were tough individuals. And up front you had the two centre with forwards like Jones and Clark, who were really Hard as well, and also deadly at scoring. But then, obviously, you had the Eddie Greys, the Peter Lorimers, you know, and then the Paul Reenies, Paul Maidleys Terry Cooper at left back, and really, really like what you would call a tough, hard team. But at the same time, a very skillful team. And obviously, we knew going into that final it was going to be a tough game. But we we were similar team in one way. We were, we felt we were strong in the back, also that we had players that were very skillful, you know, like Alan Hudson, Charlie Cook, you know, the John Hollins who could run all day like, you know, sort of up and back constantly. And then up front you got, you know, Peter Osgar, Ian Hutchinson and Pete Hausman on obviously on the wing putting balls in, which was very dangerous at times, especially the amount of goals that he made for Ian Hutchins, Hutchinson in particular. Uh, but we knew that we, we could match Leeds United really in the tough side and also the skill side
0: we managed to get a draw uh, Peter Houseman scored a crucial goal his name unfortunately hasn't been mentioned too much on the Blue Day podcast so John just quickly how good was Peter Houseman as a player
1: well Pete Hausman was like really sort of you would say really underrated player like I mean the crowds tend to Pick on maybe an individual, not so much pick on him, but you could hear the moans or something of a crossing going correctly or whatever. And at times you thought, this, you know, this isn't right. Like you know, and he was a most underrated player because he was really skillful as well as left wing. He could, if he need be, which once or twice he did, he could fill in that left back as well. But also the fact that he, yes, he scored goals like the one he got against. Um, Watford in the f- in the semi final or the FA Cup run, you know. But he, his crossing was so good, and the number of goals that Ian Hutchinson scored from his crosses was unbelievable. But he was a real, as well as the football side, he was a really nice man as well, you know. And it was such a sad thing to hear, unfortunately, when he died at such a young age. I think he was nineteen seventy four. Uh, but as a footballer, uh, such a good player, and most. Of one of the most underrated players around at that time, really, for what he'd done on the field was really good.
0: Just want to talk about the replay, if I can. It was at Old Trafford uh, Leeds against Chelsea. Osgood scored for Chelsea, He scored the first goal, and then David Webb scored that all important header. Was it at that stage where it was, we've got this, this is now our trophy, or was it more wait till the final whistle and then.
1: I mean, like, in the first game, they they should have beaten us honestly really because they had a lot of chances and if it wasn't for Peter Benetti we would got beaten like really but you know we hung in there we got a draw and then we went on to the, the replay as you said but you know the mindset that was that we could you know if we can get a draw out of that game after playing not as good not that good really then we thought we would be in with a great chance I mean they are a at that time they were a great team and we knew it would be hard in one match but then you got a second match against them even though we struggled probably in the first match to be honest like in the second match we went in the mindset we got to do better and then you know suddenly we're into the second match and you know they took the lead but obviously we you know came back and deserved to win it in the end but our mindset was that you know we can still beat these even though they're a good side you know, that we had the players that capable of turning the game, just in a one off game, you know, the players that we had, we knew we could do it. I mean David Webb used to we used to go up for corners obviously, but I suppose you sometimes you don't expect, you know, say the defender to score. It's usually the attacker, but Dave, David Webb used to score loads of goals going up like or, you know, he was you know, as well as a centre half, he was very skillful passing the ball. But actually to score the goal when the long throw from Ian Hutchinson came in, like sort of like to, for him to score, all right, it was about a yard out, nearly on the goal line. But I suppose for some players, it wasn't a shock really by the fact that he was always going up for corners and free kicks, and he had the ability to score a goal. You know, so that was sort of a, a really big moment in history of obviously Chelsea Football Club when he scored that goal. You, you knew then you had a great chance of actually winning the game for us to take the lead in you know, the sort of first time in two matches to actually do that was a big thing. So it was exciting for David Webb, but also exciting for the rest of the team that at least we were in the lead and the hope that we would hang on.
0: When you got your hands on the FA Cup eventually, what was going through your mind at that point? Was this, you know, looking at it, the the highlight of your career was you know how sort of relieved that this chelsea side with the quality that you've mentioned the likes of houseman you know, hudson harris osgood etc was able to lift the trophy and in the manner it was against a good side against league united
1: oh for me it was really exciting sort of like i remember taking because i was taking all the goal kicks because Peter Benetti got injured and had a bad thigh and I took the last kick and as I hit it out like up to halfway line all of a sudden the whistle went and you know, I can see it now such a big relief and the next minute sort of Ron Harris um, David Webb and, and myself and uh, Marvin Inton who came on as a sub were on top of each other and it was such a wonderful feeling that you know you won the FA Cup and it was a relief like because we hung in there and actually deserved it especially in the second half to come back and actually win the game was a massive thing and it was such an exciting feeling and also for the noise from the Chelsea fans you you know you mustn't forget the fans because they've been in two matches and also to see all the blue and white scars and the noise was a, a really it put the hairs up in your neck like the feeling of actually winning something but also winning it for the fans.
0: Looking back in terms of the Chelsea support, how much did that help the Chelsea team? Not just through the FA Cup run but throughout your time at Chelsea?
1: Well, it was a big thing really, to be honest. And yes, when you, you played sort of like at Chelsea at home, it was the shedding was the ones that Push the crowd on and you know so I can remember now sort of thinking back sort of like at home games it's, as you come out for 10 minutes to warm up and we always tended to be going down the shed end and every time you were knocking the ball around warming up they'd go through each player his name like sort of like Peter Benazzi and all of a sudden when it came your turn you sort of you could feel like the hairs in your neck rise and it was quite Sort of a sort of an excited moment, and in, in, you know, going to all the matches that they went to and away from home. I can think of the thousands that went there, and really, you know, sort of sometimes we're coming back and then on the train at the station before we got on the train, you know, the excitement of them all, especially when you won. But I must admit, when they, when we, if we were unfortunate to lose, they were still good, but. You know, to actually follow a team on away games was a um, massive thing to the rest of the team to actually have such good support. And obviously, as I say, when we were at home, sometimes there sixty thousand playing Manchester United. You know, sort of the support was really, really, sort of a loud thing you could hear, like when you were playing. So, you know, players did could you know appreciate what fans. Going through not much money, travelling away, you know, and also obviously at home as well. That players were not just thinking about themselves. I think back in them days, you know, because everything was sort of all about football was like English players, British, you know, if you're Irish, Scottish, Welsh, uh, but it was a man's game back then. Obviously, things have changed dramatically and you move on, you know, pitches, money, whatever it is, you move on. But I still think players from that era, you know, when you think back, there, there was so many great players in every team, and that's going to the bottom clubs as well, you know, so many outstanding players that I was lucky to play against, you know, and play with, obviously, you know. So to this day, I'm always grateful for what I've been through and actually to be part of and to actually sort of, you know, for the fans... Actually, I was one one day following sort of like Chelsea when I was little, but actually, then to play and have fans cheering you was an unbelievable feeling.
0: Of course, the next season, yourself and other players made the European debut for Chelsea. Um, you, in particular, um, made your debut in a 1 1 draw against Aris Salonica. Took me a while to get that right, I had to practice it before recording. You were sent off in this game. Do you remember the incident?
1: Yeah, I do remember the incident and sort of when I go back to it, I mean I yeah, people say, Yeah, right, but I I, I she never have got sent off. It was a ball kicked over the top of my head and I was running back towards Pete Benetti and he came out on the edge of the air and the player behind me was trying to sort of come to the side of me and kicking out and he was kicking out Pete Benetti as he was getting the ball. And I just gave him a little nudge, and then it was the usual, like sort of rolling over and rolling over. And uh, I think it was about 35 minutes only gotten, and um, sort of he sent us off, which I couldn't believe. And obviously, teammates couldn't believe. And then the next day, in the sort of papers in England, they were saying it was absolutely ridiculous. But I thought, gosh, I've been sent off. and now the team would be up against it, like as such, you know, but they did well, I think, and drew that, I think, 1-1. One, one. Um, but at that incident, I, that was my debut, and to get sent off was a bit of a shock, really, which I knew I didn't deserve. If I deserved it, fair enough, but in that incident, it was just an unfortunate thing that happened, and so sort of you moved on from there, obviously.
0: Yeah, and I've got to say it now that sort of a particular incident, if VAR was in effect, you know, that that would have been interesting. We overcame a 2-0 defeat to Club Bruges in the sort of later rounds, but we ended up beating them 4-0 in the return leg. Just sort of quickly, John, what was Stamford Bridge like to play on in European nights?
1: Well, that game went to 2-2 and then suddenly we were, got two goals, but I remember that night and was unbelievable, the noise and the atmosphere and that's one thing in them days like when you had the lights at night on the crowd behind you like you know it was a deafening noise at times especially when you were attacking and if you scored a goal it was really loud and you know i can remember that night when you two nil down it's a hard thing to come back and actually get beaten four nil was a big thing really and later on you know, we beat Man City and of course that was an English club in the semi-final, first leg and I can remember that night distinctly sort of thinking, gosh, you know, what a noise this is like, you know. Um, So European nights were a big thing and you wanted to be part of it, you know, and I can remember that quite well really, you know.
0: (laughs) What was the feeling amongst the dressing room after beating Bruges, but then Beating Manchester City over two legs, knowing that you was going to be in a final, not just any final, but like a, a European final that did have some prestige back then. What was the mindset of the dressing room, let alone sort of yourself, about what have we achieved here?
1: Well, I mean, it was a big thing, really. Like we'd only taken a one 0 lead to Man City, and as you said, it was an own goal. I think Pete, uh, Keith Weller took a corner, and I think it was Healy in the goal. Of pushed it into his own net, but you know, we knew that would be a hard return leg to actually go there and actually 1 0 was a big thing, really. And to actually win the two legs 2 0 against the team of Man City, who were a good team at that time, and I thought that gave us a lot of confidence going in to a final. Like, and we knew it would be difficult against a top team like Real Madrid because Real Madrid had a big history going back into the 50s with Di Stefano and certain players. And then to actually come up against a team like that, we knew it'd be difficult. Uh, but we, in them days, you didn't know much, really, a lot about what you, the opposition was. You were going to play. You knew they were a good team. In number one, they got through to a final, so they must be a big team. But in them days, you don't know. We didn't have the analysis from people of scouting and things like that. So obviously, you were going into a game that you knew that. Obviously a good team, but we were confident that we could beat them because we knew we had a strong squad of players that were quite capable of getting goals. And actually, you know, we thought we could do very well in the final against them.
0: Real Madrid in the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, 19th of May, 1971. It was the first game. We had to have two games to beat them. The replay was on the 21st of May, 1971. John, I've just got a couple of questions on this, What was said in the dressing room by the players before the replay against Real Madrid, knowing that how well you played in the first game? And for you personally, how confident was you after the first game, knowing that Chelsea held their own and all you needed was another top performance against them in the replay?
1: Well, it, the thing was that like, after that game, yeah, 1-1, you think, so oh, gosh, you know won that really you know but in in the end Dave Sexton said to us like just forget that game you're moving on and we knew we had the beaten of them like because we should have beaten them in the first game obviously you can be not too overconfident but we knew that we had the beating of them and you know they they were a good side they had a forward core Mancio who was a dangerous player and one or two others but at the end of the day even I thought to myself we could beat them with the players like Aussie, etc. that you knew they could get us goals. And, you know, Dave said, the Sexton gave us the confidence of going into the next game of it telling us, like, really, that, you know, you're the better team, so let's follow on and finish it off. That was his attitude, really. And at the end of the day, we did play very well in the second game. So, you know, obviously winning it was a big thing. So, really... We knew it would be hard, but we knew that we had a team to beat them.
0: You scored the first goal of the replay game on the 21st of May, which ended up Chelsea winning the game 2-1. Describe to the Chelsea supporters, if you can, John, that particular goal that was scored for those that perhaps have not seen it and what that goal and the actual occasion meant to you as a person and as a player.
1: Well, I mean, the goal I scored was like charlie cook took a corner and then i was just inside the penalty box about 15 yards out and then i headed it and the goalkeeper punched it out and then as it came out i just thought i'm going to hit this and i hit it on the volley and it went in the roof of the net but obviously you know nine times out of ten or whatever it may not have done it could have gone over the bar or whatever but to see it hit the roof of the net was an unbelievable feeling as Especially for a defender obviously and to hit one on the volleys you know you never expect to score like that but it was such an exciting moment and you know sort of like you get goosebumps thinking about it when I do see it on YouTube or on a video or whatever it brings back happy memories but also to think oh you scored in the European final is a big thing as well obviously so that was a really exciting moment and the feeling of actually scoring a goal was a, a big thing, really, like, you know, especially for a defender. Yes, attackers score the majority of goals and score them on a regular basis. So if for a, a defender doesn't score a lot of goals, then it becomes a sort of a, a big thing, really.
0: Looking back now, how significant was this victory for the players in that squad, the, like the club itself, but also for English football as, as a whole?
1: I think it was like for the football club number one. It was the first thing, first time they ever won a European trophy. So that was a major thing for actually for Chelsea Football Club. And obviously, the you move on and you're hoping that the years go by and you win more trophies for the actual country. You know, you knew that you had teams that, whether it's Chelsea, Manchester United, Leeds. You know, at that time, and in Scotland with Celtic, who were a big club, that given the opportunity, they could win trophies. Like you know, and it was like an incentive for other teams that, here Chelsea win it, like, and you're playing against a big club like Real Madrid, who've got a history of winning things, and for people sort of playing for top clubs at that time, they must you know go through their mind thinking, well, we can do that. If Chelsea can do that, but for Chelsea, like, it was a a major thing you know first sort of winning the FA Cup but then a the European trophy was a massive thing so it was pleasing that you know for the club we won it for the players that part of that club but also not forgetting the fans that you know a lot of people tend to forget that you know at the end of the day they're the ones without the fans there wouldn't be a football club there wouldn't be football players either and they're the ones that have to travel you know, thinking about that game, they travelled out there for the first game, not expecting to have to stay there two da- two days later, you know, to actually have a replay. And I think back to then when some of them didn't have any money and remember we had a whip round to give some money to the to some fans that were sleeping on, on the beach and also tickets that we didn't really need as such like but the tickets were given to fans as well like and you know sort of I mean yes we were playing alright the wages were nothing like they are today but you know sort of like the fans without them you have, you have nothing, the club has nothing you know and people should remember that the fans are the ones that are following you and they follow you everywhere whether it's to Russia or wherever and this time it was out in sort of Athens and some of these people you know you got to think about their work and they have to go back and others are so much Chelsea Chelsea that they're staying out there and they haven't really got nowhere to stay so you know at the end of the day it was a big thing for Chelsea Football Club it was a big thing for British clubs that they could think oh well, we can get into one of these if we're lucky if we play well and Also, as I said about the fans, without them there'd be nothing.
0: I think that certainly rings true, especially after what we've seen with the whole European Super League and the backlash from football supporters. Seeing that and listening to your stories about fans sleeping out, trying to get a ticket for the game, it just goes to show the passion that people have for their football club and football club owners and directors should remember that.
1: Yeah, definitely, without
0: doubt. Fast forward, if we can, to 1972. There was two particular bits that happened that I'd like that I'd like to talk about. The first one, uh, the team made a, a record. I actually do have the LP somewhere in, in the house of Blue is the Colour. What are your memories of doing that with the Chelsea lads?
1: I remember us uh, going to recording studios of the people who sort of made the record and produced the record etc down in Holloway in studios down there and practicing singing it and it was a really catchy tune and it was quite a fun time actually doing it and we'd done that for quite a while, a few hours and then eventually sort of like moving on we got on to Top of the Pops obviously in that year of 72 and sort of you know, got in the top twenty, which which was a big thing, obviously, in them days, because obviously top of the pops was played every, I think it was Friday night for a half an hour, and actually to get on there and sort of to actually sing that song, which was a really catchy tune, and obviously they still play at the Chelsea Football Club today, fifty years on, and sort of like, a, they were happy memories actually to actually make a, a song that I never thought would. <laughs> Go on for 50 years, but it's amazing when you think back and you think, Gosh, I was part of that song, you know, and uh, I can still hear it, you know, obviously in my head sometimes. And obviously, when the teams come off, it's usually played at Chelsea. So, um, you know, when we think back, I suppose we're pleased that we actually made it for Chelsea Football Club and the fans. John, in
0: 1972, Chelsea was in another final, it was the League Cup final where we played Stoke City we lost the game 2-1 looking back how disappointed was you with this result and what was the mindset of the team after this defeat?
1: I mean the, we I think myself personally we should have won the game we had enough chances I mean Gordon Banks saved a lot that day for them and we should have really beaten them and I remember when Chris Garland was completely through and then he, he took saved by Banks, but I always think back to them days and thinking, you know, they never sent a player off back then really but you took him out or else we'd have got, you know, we made it 2-2 at that time, but on that day it was very disappointing because the fact that, you know, you, it would have been the third trophy in a row that we would have won, so you know, when you finish the game and the whistle goes and you've, you know, you're Thinking, gosh, we should have won that, and you get a bit upset. The fact of the matter that you know, it's a, a bad loss as such. But on the other hand, Stoke had good players, the George Eastons and people like that at that time were really outstanding players. But you know, it's just a sad feeling at that time. And of course, then you think about moving on, sort of from there, nineteen seventy-two and then all of a sudden things change and you know, sort of like all the players at that time obviously in their mind they were probably thinking oh we've got the next season to move on to better things as well because three seasons of getting to finals was a a big thing for any football club I mean even if they got the one final in three years they think they've done well for us it was a case of like hopefully moving on to better things but then all of a sudden Things started to change um, gradually, and then I think it was 1970. Even then, wasn't it? I think 1972, 73 started building the rebuilding of the East Stand, and then things started to change from there onwards. Really, as such, not for the not for the better.
0: Yes, we've talked about the good years of Chelsea. Well, unfortunately, now we've got to sort of go down a little bit and talk about the dark days. Of uh, Stamford Bridge and obviously the decline of your time at Chelsea. In the next couple of seasons, the club largely underachieved in, in the league and in cup competitions. John, what was your personal thoughts on this? And looking back, when did you notice, for example, the wheels starting to come off with this team and, in fact, the club itself?
1: Well, I think really sort of like when you know, sort there was one or two problems like and Peter Osgood left and Alan Hudson, David Webb. Then the team decided started to disintegrate like as such and you were losing sort of a lot of the better players as such really and you know, I'm not saying the stand building of seventy two onwards or whatever caused a lot of problems. That's nothing to do with it at the time the you know the team was not playing 100% great but losing players of that calibre obviously didn't help matters really and it's just it's, you know you can think of it all them years back and think to yourself if only we kept that squad together but there was you know one or two fell out with Dave Sexton like etc And you know that didn't help matters like really and make things worse but obviously you know around that time you're thinking to yourself like after winning three trophies and losing some players like you know you think oh gosh are we can we get out of this like which was at that time was a sad feeling like really because we had such a strong team that I thought we would get better and better but these things do happen and you know it's just unfortunate that that did happen at that time but I was hoping that things would turned around really but they
0: didn't well it obviously left a big hole when Osgood left and then subsequently you had other players that were to leave I mean Alan Hudson on the top of my head was the other one that left around the same time as Osgood and as you say there was an unfortunate turn of events at Chelsea because as you say you were able to be in finals three years in a row and then all of a sudden when certain decisions are made where Stanford Bridge has to be re- redeveloped, and then the, there's not enough money to go for both on stadium and team. There is going to be some consequences to that. So, well,
1: I suppose, I mean, no one knew the, re- the full reasons why you know, yes, you could say it was something to do with the stain because that become an expensive thing. I think there was an industrial action by the unions and it stopped the building of it for a, a certain time. So, costs go up Uh, but it was just sad that you know that they unfortunately left the club yes as I said to people before that Dave was such a great coach probably the man management side wasn't his thing really you know the the coaching side he was great at but when you're dealing with strong individuals like Peter Osgood and you know, Alan Hudson, etc. You know, it, some managers may be able to cope with it better than others. So, I mean, you know, you can say different things, but I suppose no one, at the end of the day, know fully really why you know the club decided to sell these players because they were exceptional players, really. You know, and move them on, which was sad at that time because they were part of a, a group of players that could you felt, could go on to better things, you know?
0: I want to talk about as well, in 1974, Dave Sexton left the club with um, Eddie McCready taking over the role on a permanent basis. What were your thoughts on the decision at the time? And just sort of touch on Eddie McCready for us.
1: I mean, like it's sad, really, sort of like Dave Sexton leaving because obviously he signed me. uh, So in that way yes but i understood from the club's point of view if they felt that they needed a change then obviously there was nothing you could do about it but you know from my point of view he signed me and gave me the chance to play for chelsea which i'll be forever grateful um sort of like with the eddie Eddie mccready taking over i mean obviously it was a new thing for him and I just thought, will he, will he do it? Like you know, I mean to say, like, will he become a, a top manager? But he brought in the youngsters, like Butch Wilkins, Ray Lewington, Ian Britton, Tommy Langley, Teddy Maybanks, all these younger players that I can think of in my head, and then he mixed it in with some older players as well. And I mean, it proved that he he did a good job, and he got a promotion. Unfortunately, you know, he, whatever happened him not staying, he left the club and it would have been interesting to see what he would have done as a coach, you know, after one season or whatever he was there because he did a good job and proved that he had the capability and he changed everything around by bringing in young players and, and it proved him right, really, because he did a good job.
0: You mentioned Ray Wilkins, John a young player coming through the ranks at Chelsea during your time at the club. What were your thoughts on him at the time?
1: Well, you could see, like, through the youth team, into the reserves, that the skill he had, the passing the ability he had, and you knew that he was going to eventually become a top player. His capabilities were outstanding on the ball, the way he controlled the ball, the way he passed the ball. And at a young age, he was, like, directing people, you would think, on the field, telling them where he wanted the ball with his hands. Like, you know, you knew then that this person had the capability to become a top player, which proved to be in the end. And, you know, when you think back, and he was captain of Chelsea as well, and then obviously moved to other clubs and developed into a greater player, and obviously playing for England as well, which was a big, massive thing. So, you know, in that aspect, I knew that he would always be a top player, and it proved to be the point, really, with him.
0: In your opinion, John, was you surprised when Ray Wilkins got the captain's armband so early in his Chelsea career, considering the more experienced, established players in the team? Yeah,
1: I, w- I was I was surprised that he actually did get it, really, because at that time he still had Ron Harris around and whoever, but, you know, obviously, you know, to actually Give him the captaincy, like Eddie McCready He knew that he, in his eyes, obviously, in other people's eyes as well, he knew that eventually this person was going to be lead of a team. You know, you know, you could look at today and think, well, you know, m- believe it or not, Mason Mount could be a captain in the future for for Chelsea. Obviously, you know the fact of you can see an individual, like I said earlier, about Ray Wil- Wilkins in sort of playing and training and you could tell he was a leader that eventually one day he knew that he would turn out to be really good but obviously captain of Chelsea I suppose would be a surprise to a lot of people when you've got experienced players still at the club but obviously a manager thinks well no, I think I want him as a captain because he's capable
0: was there any animosity aimed at the young players by the more experienced names in the squad because their spot might get taken? Was there any issues there?
1: Not in my eyes, there wasn't. Like, you know, I mean, obviously when you're old, you think you should be in the team maybe. But, you know, if, if a young player comes along and he's got the ability, then obviously I'm sure players would realise they've got to be given a chance, you know, in our days, as I said earlier, the squads are quite small. They're not like 20-odd players today, you know. Um, so back then, I think players were sort of knowing full well that if you're not playing well, then you don't deserve to be in the team. You know, and that's it, really. Yes, it doesn't give you a you know, God-given right that you should be playing every week and you're not playing well just because you you know, played in the team for 10 years. didn't really matter like if someone's better than you at the time then you'd have to accept it yes you, you weren't happy and you were probably upset but at the end of the day then when you sit down and look at things then you realize well actually they are better than me at this moment
0: yeah and you did touch on it earlier about the club being relegated in 1975 four years after winning the cup winners cup What was going through your mind at that point of your career with Chelsea, knowing that they were going to be in the second division?
1: I suppose it was hard to take, really, because you always thought you'd be in sort of like Division One. You know, you class yourself as a top team, and it was quite upsetting to actually get relegated. And, you know, at that time, you were playing against what you felt were lesser teams. You're not playing against the Manchester United Leagues. But I suppose. You were also thinking that you know you've got to try and get out, of, back out of this division into the division where you belong. Because Chelsea to get relegated was a big thing back then, like because they were a big club, winning three, you know, were winning two trophies and getting through to another final, and really belonged in the top division. So, you know, really most players who were brought down with the club, like into the next division, with Really, I'm I'm sure I was, definitely, but I'm sure the other players were upset and also convinced that they needed to get back up quickly as possible.
0: How crucial was it for Chelsea to get promoted quite quickly from being relegated in a couple of years before that?
1: Yeah, definitely. That was the mindset, really, that everyone knew the club was such a big club that playing in that division wasn't accepted, really. Like, the they have to make every effort to get out of there and play well and need to be back in the top division. I think it was a relief that Chelsea were back up um, and also the fact that you know, they're back where they belong and also the fans want to support the team from the Division 1 aspect but obviously you know, Eddie Mack had built a young side so I think they knew it would it'd be quite a hard thing to actually bring so many young players up into that division. But at the same time, it getting back was the priority. So, you know, the mindset was really about, oh, well, we're up. We've got to do well, you know, at that time. So it was a big thing, but it was going to be a big challenge for a, a young squad of players, really, at that time.
0: You ended up leaving Chelsea to play football in the United States how did that move come about, and what sort of details can you give us of your departure from Chelsea? Uh,
1: that happened well, at the same time. Me and Charlie Cook were coming to the end of our contracts, and Canzuetto was in charge at the time, and he spoke to us both and told us that they wouldn't be renewing our contracts, and um, sort of that would be the end of our Chelsea career. So, you know, things had moved on. The team was a lot younger. So, I mean, it, at first it comes as a shock because you always think, oh, I want to play for Chelsea. But you've got to realise that time moves on and, like, both of us knew that we had to move on. And then, obviously, sort of I moved on to Philadelphia Fury and Charlie Cook moved on to Memphis, Tennessee in American football. Uh, but it was a sad day because... You know, you look back when you were young and you swore Chelsea and you play with Chelsea and then suddenly it comes to an end, I suppose when you're playing you never think it's going to end. Uh, but obviously it sinks in and then, you know, it's a sad day, but then obviously you move on. But you still got Chelsea in your heart and hope that they do successfully and uh, that, that's how it happened really. I'd had two two or three injuries. I got over one and then another one came and it can happen like that, you know. And sort of towards the end, I wasn't playing much. I was injured and the contract was coming up. If I'd been playing regular, then it might have been a different thing. But, you know, I accepted it as it was and it was probably the right decision by the club, really, that, yes, you know, the contract, they weren't renewing it, so I accepted it.
0: Just a couple more, John, before we do let you go. Um, I've mentioned this to a few ex-footballers who have been spitting feathers over it, you know, with their discontent. John, just want to get your thoughts on VAR, please.
1: Well, it's a, it's a difficult one, keep like because you think, you know, like when you look at it, the correct thing they get right all the time, obviously, is the when they the ball over the line. They started with that, and obviously with the referees' watch. His arm, he can see straight away if that ball's over the line or not, and that's 100% like you know. But then you come into these things where it's borderline, with like even though we don't like Tottenham, the Harry Kane against Leeds the other day. I was, I was praying it, it would get chalked off the goal, and it was. But really, these instances with this, with a, a six inches of a boot, a slight arm is a bit you know. Really up in the air, really, because you think yourself it should be clear and precise. And it's, I suppose, when they go to VAR and then you think they haven't given the decision and it should be the other way. Everyone has their own opinion, obviously, but when it's pretty obvious that, you know, that should be allowed, sometimes you're amazed when you see VAR decisions. And of course, if it's for Chelsea, you're going to be biased. I understand, you know, that and some of the decisions you think I remember thinking back when uh, Chelsea played Tottenham and I think it was De Selle, I forget his name now the, the midfielder for Tottenham De Selle, so the Spanish bloke when he trod on Cezanne the VAR and they couldn't find nothing wrong with that and then when Bashwari got the boot from Maguire, these instances have uh, just become a joke and this is obviously people say you're biased because you're Chelsea but at the end of the day, you can see instances where it's clear cut that these should have been sent off or whatever. But in the ones where they're drawing a line along, sometimes it's pretty obvious, like that they're making the wrong decision. So I don't know how they're going to get. You know, they're never going to do away with it. Obviously, I wouldn't think. But it's very difficult. You know, for the referee, okay, you can go over to the screen and have a look. And then make a decision, but sometimes they make the wrong decisions. But then some people say that maybe when players pack up football, maybe they should go into, you know, to be a referee, like, and uh, learn the trade and do it then. But even though they play football, it doesn't mean to say they won't make the same mistake. You know, it is a difficult one because everyone is going to be supporting your own team in these instances aren't you and when you think oh got away with one there like you know whatever then i mean when you look at the sterling one the other day sort of like yes it might look like a penalty with him and zuma but then on the other hand as some people say should he have been on the field from the 30 minute when he stuck his foot up with Werner as such you know and as there. Opinions because Man City support will say the opposite of what we would say, but I mean, they need to improve it somehow. But it's a difficult one, everyone, I suppose, has an opinion, don't they? Like the pundits on the telly say one thing and someone else says something, and the next referee, so no one is exactly getting this right, are they? So either they come up with new things or something that's more clear cut, you know, sort of like it's a difficult one, really.
0: John, final question from me: How do you look back on your Chelsea career?
1: I look back on it like and think to myself, I was fortunate to join such a great club as Chelsea. Obviously, moving from Fulham, um, and lucky to be part of a, a club that produced great players when I joined. Obviously, and you know, sort of to actually win an FA Cup, a European Cup, and this Cup to get a goal. You know, at least we part of Chelsea's history, and probably the start of it as such. Especially the European part. The nineteen fifty-five team won the league, um, but then since then things have moved on. But my thing is the fact that playing what's with such a good team that we had in them days will always be in my memory forever. Obviously, you know, and to so actually. Be part of a club that had great support and has great support today. And you know, I can remember, as I said earlier, all the fans at home and you know, cheering us on and actually traveling with us was a tremendous thing. And winning the cup, FA Cup, then coming back to Euston and traveling back, you know, to Fulham Road, it's actually all through the streets and to the town hall, winning the FA Cup. And the same when we came back. From the European Cup Winners' Cup final, Heathrow, and then we—I can remember coming, Kensington High Street, King's Road, then down Fulham Road, back to the town hall, and all the thousands of fans and blue and white—that brings back happy memories. So I look back on my career really fondly, and the fact that I was fortunate to play for a club like Chelsea, which I'll never forget. You know, and. I'll always blue, be blue as the colour.
0: Brilliant way to end it. John, absolutely delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for your time. And hopefully once COVID is eventually gone, we'll hopefully see you down at the bridge again someday.
1: Thank you. I hope hopefully be back at the bridge soon with my boots.
0: Yes, absolutely. Chelsea should at least give you the first 45 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> OK, Keith, thank you very much. And all to the fans, thank you